This is Payments Innovation. We take you deep into the DNA of digital finance with some of the most respected voices in the industry. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This episode is all about perceptions. Perceptions specifically about the fintech sector. I'm your host, Piers Murray, and joining me today are two exceptional guests, both experts with a deep understanding of fintech's landscape as well as its public perception. So a very warm welcome to Gemma Lingham, head of fintech at Fleischmann Hillard, and Janine Hurt, CEO of Innovate Finance. Thank you both for joining me today. Uh, For those of our audience who don't know you and your background, Gemma, could you kick off giving us a bit of an introduction to who you are, your role, and what you're up to at Fleischmann Hillard? Yep, I'm Gemma. So I'm a director at Fleischmann Hillard UK, um, and I also head up our fintech sector. Um, We are a global communications agency. So I have the pleasure of working with a portfolio of fintech clients, primarily on the B2B side, anything from payments and embedded finance through to kind of KYC, digital identity, ultimately really helping them to communicate the work that they do and the messages that they want to get across at various stages of growth, whether that's um, a key milestone, like a funding announcement, expanding to a new market, a new product launch, um, or just establishing a voice on a new topic. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining. And Janine, same for me. I'm Janine Hurt. I'm CEO of Innovate Finance. We are the industry body for UK FinTech. We launched in 2014-2015. And we really represent the entire financial technology and financial innovation community in the UK. We serve as their voice. And our mission is to support that next generation of technology-led innovators to create a more inclusive, a more democratic, and a more effective financial services sector that works better for everyone. Brilliant. Thank you both. And I promised everyone two absolute experts. So I'm looking forward to this. Um, Right. So as I said at the top, we're talking about fintech perceptions. You know, fintech has kind of positioned itself as this disruptive underdog of sorts, you know, challenging the status quo, maybe challenging the traditional banking and financial services systems. But it's come a really, really long way. You know, we've seen stellar growth rates from logos that have become perhaps household names more recently. And I've certainly seen this conversation shift in, at least from a bank's perspective, from seeing fintech perhaps as the enemy to a narrative that's revolving around fintech partnership and, and fintech collaboration. But I think in, in recent times, it's perhaps no secret that there have been some events that have cast a new light on the industry as it's matured. All of this put together, certainly at least to me, feels like we're in relatively unknown, uncharted territory for a sector that's, that's really positioned itself as the consumer-friendly alternative to the, the traditional banking system. Gemma, I've just kicked off with a few ideas there, but how do you think fintech's public persona has really changed over the past few years and, and what's specifically different about it? All three of us um, are very embedded in the fintech industry um, with the different work we do. So I think we would all say, um, you know, it's not that it's not the underdog. Uh, it's not the bubble waiting to burst. It's not the new kid on the block. All of those kind of descriptors that um, that have been thrown about. Um, and, you know, despite some turbulence, it is still a thriving industry that really has. And I hate to use this phrase because it's cliche, but, you know, it's entered the mainstream. Even if people don't know it's fintech, these services at a consumer level, are so much more prevalent. I guess with my kind of work hat on, um, and I do a lot, a lot more on the B two B side. I think we've seen a real, a real maturing of the sector. You know, we're seeing um, lots more collaboration, lots more partnerships. You know, 
as you say, the fintechs and the banks aren't the arch enemies anymore. Um, it's about coming together. So there's a real sense of focus in terms of, you know, let's do one thing right rather than five things a little bit better. As the sector changes, evolves, matures, so too do your communications. You know, it's not an industry full of scrappy fintech startups that can say, oh, we're just figuring it out. We're new to this. It's it's not like that anymore. Of course, there are earlier stage businesses, but there are a lot more that need to be held a lot more accountable should something happen, whether that's making sure your internal comms are aligned with your external comms, making sure that you are well prepared should you find yourself in a crisis. And Gemma, you touched on um, an interesting point, I think, earlier in your answer around fintechs often or at the moment becoming far more embedded and certainly in certain areas consumers don't even realize that they're purchasing you know financial services from a fintech janine i'd love to get your take on this as well from perhaps some of that embedded perspectives how does that then resonate with the public persona if if consumers don't realize that they're purchasing services in all senses from a fintech you know how does that then marry off against changing image So I'll probably answer that and also look back at your first question, because I think what's really critical here is to look at the tangible impact that fintech has made. So to Gemma's point, it's no longer the new kid on the block, right? When we think back to 2014, 2015, as essentially being a real kickoff and the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, as being the real motivation and the momentum where you start seeing fintech taking off around the world and in the UK, since that point, it's actually momentous the amount of impact that the fintech ecosystem has had on how people feel about financial services, right? In the UK alone, we have eight out of every 10 adults in the UK are using at least one fintech tool on a regular basis. We know that 60% of all SME lending being done in the UK today is being done by fintechs, so either challenger banks or alternative lenders. And the UK owns more than 10% of global market share in fintech. And this is a huge sector. So in 2022, we saw more than 90 billion US dollars invested into fintech globally. And in the UK alone, we had around 12.5 billion uh, of US dollars invested into the ecosystem here. So looking at where we are 10 years ago to where we are now, I think it's important to reflect on, as Gemma mentioned, the natural maturity of the sector that we have seen over the years. And it's no longer about the fintech eating the bank's lunch. It is about how do we see these partnerships taking place between the incumbent financial institutions and the fintechs, but also how do we see the fintech and the fintech collaboration happening. So this marketplace effect, ultimately to create this more inclusive financial services system that is decreasing cost and providing better experiences for the end consumer. And this feeds into your question about embedded finance, because more and more, I think what fintechs do that sets them apart is that they increasingly focus on the consumer. So the customer is very much at the center of their proposition. And with that in mind, they are able to innovate in a way that puts the customer first, whether that is looking at speed, whether that is about an increasing access to different types of products, or to your point about embedding it so that they don't even realize they are using a financial services tool. FinTech has really transformed how we view financial services on a day-to-day basis, and that will continue going forward. And you touched on some of the investment landscape as well. So if we think about this from a different angle to to perhaps the the end consumer angle, if we think about this from investor VC community, from the rest of the business world, how, again, over the past few years, do you think, if at all, you know, the fintech reputation has changed? 
So on the on the UK, we are seeing a substantial portion of investment come into London-based fintechs, but increasingly, we are seeing a greater focus on different regions and them developing their capacity as great fintech hubs as well. And we play quite a core role in working with our fintech national network and trying to highlight some of those great regions. In terms of a global basis, the UK has been second behind the United States in terms of investment for really the last seven or eight or nine years since we've been started tracking fintech investments. So we very much are a global leader. We are actually ahead of all of Europe combined in terms of investment. So we are the European leader and very much a global leader. And I think that's really a testament to the amazing entrepreneurs that we have here uh, and also to the regulatory environment and to the government support that is so necessary to foster this type of innovation as well. I like this idea that there are so many different entities involved here that have to come together really to make sure that, especially going forward, that we're talking about the perception, the public image and, and providing the foundations for this industry to thrive in in the right collaborative kind of way. Gemma, so we've we've discussed some of the the, the the challenges perhaps where we've got to so you know over the past decade or so where where the industry uh, the state of the industry has has arrived at. But where what do what do fintechs and the fin does the fintech industry as a as a whole need to do moving forward? You know, we, we talked about trust, reliability, trustworthiness. Um, how does the industry continue to show those types of concepts as well as continuing to be innovative and provide progression from a technological and social perspective? I think what it comes down to at this stage is authenticity. Um, this is something we talk a lot about at Fleischmann Hillard um, in our work um, and how we work with our clients. Um, and it's based on who you actually are and what the world around you actually expects. And unsurprisingly, if the two are at odds, no matter who you are, your audience will be let down or dissatisfied if you're not meeting those expectations. So to give you an example, um, when we last studied this, we found um, that of the informed consumers that we questioned, when it comes to the banking and payment space in particular, consumers place a real importance on customer care and being communicated to on that. But many of the brands that we tracked in that space are actually falling short on communicating on that. Then if you look at it from the flip side, um, a lot of the brands that we tracked um, are tracking really high on communicating on innovation. But when you look at it, consumers actually expect to see really minimal action in that area. So it's just an example to kind of show you where that gap exists when it comes to communications and where, where there are odds. And it's going to be different for B2B brands and consumer brands. But I believe that is what's really at the crux of how fintechs can move forward in terms of communicating with their audiences on the topics that their audiences care about and shows, you know, allows them to demonstrate what they need to demonstrate. I think a really good example of a brand that does that that I've seen lately is Zopa. Um both from how they communicate with their investor and business community um, through to their direct customers. So they what, what you'll see or what we might see on the call a bit more than the average consumer um, is, you know, a clear stream of business um, news stories, business updates that if I were an investor or a peer or a future partner, I would be invested in that. It's telling me what it needs to tell me. It's showing me what I need to see. But then as a customer and as a consumer they're very quick to communicate on issues like interest rates which I think we all know everybody's talking about interest rates again more than we ever thought we would but they're very quick to communicate on what a change means when a change happens and, and, and as I say what it means to the customer how it relates to a customer and you know what it's going to impact them ultimately and I think 
I see them um, through their communications kind of backing that up with action, which, as I mentioned, is key. If, you know, fintechs want to kind of maintain their relationships with their customers, their audiences, investors, peers, it really does come down to getting that right. Because fundamentally, if you're saying something that nobody cares about, it's you're not going to move the needle and you're not going to do what you need to do. Piers, can I, can I jump in here? Because I, I absolutely agree with all of Gemma's points. And I think it's really interesting. So she mentioned Zopa, which we're huge fans of, and they're members of ours. And I love what they're doing. And I think particularly interesting is actually this 2025 fintech pledge that Zopa has launched in collaboration um, with ClearScore. And this is very much about trying to bring at least 10 million positive actions to increase financial wellness across the UK. So it's essentially showcasing the role that fintech has to play in driving better financial wellness, driving by better financial inclusion. And all of this is so important right now because we sit ultimately on the biggest cost of living crisis that we've seen in 70 years since records began. And when you talk about how do we reframe the positive benefits of fintech and how do we communicate, I think it's absolutely imperative that we start talking about the incredible role fintech has played to provide better services to individuals and to SMEs. And even more so now, that's particularly some of these SMEs and individuals are really, really struggling. So we did a report earlier this year that showcased the role of fintech in the cost of living crisis. We actually looked at use cases across the fintech landscape. So everything from different tools that were supporting more flexible wage structures through to uh, different tools around enhancing debt and the forbearance process, or looking at budging affordability, switching tools, credit builders, you know, some, some programs even offer opportunities to identify vulnerable customers before they get to the point where they're really in a, in a problematic space on their financial services terms. And so there's all of these new products and new companies coming to the forefront in the fintech community that are having such a positive impact and a positive benefit. And when we look at the conversation and the narrative around fintech, I think it's integral that we start bringing bringing this into the discussion too. That's a brilliant point. And I, I think when I reflect back to, I often use 2008 as the as the proverbial line in the fintech sand as well. But if I think back to the earlier days of the fintech, the first era, let's say, of fintech, it was really about innovation, about disruption, about changing the status quo, but perhaps without the clarity of why that was really needed or what positive, you know, in some cases, social benefits that would actually start to bring. Um, and perhaps it is just the conflation of, of you know, wider macroeconomic circumstances as well at play here. But it is fantastic, as you've, you've called out with Zopa, to start seeing really how technological change plus the trustworthy authenticity, the authenticity gap is, is, a, is a brilliant concept, but how that, that trust um, backed up with really concrete action is starting to play out now and how the wider landscape, not just from a consumer perspective, but also from from a business perspective, is really, really starting to benefit and and hopefully will continue to do so in in the years to come. I would just add to that as well. You know, it's as much as it is about the business. And um, I think, you know, it's how consumers and audiences expect businesses to be communicating and and on what as well. We are seeing a lot more um, consumer appetite for CEOs of fintechs. And I'm sure, Janine, you're seeing this with your members to communicate on bigger issues like cost of living crisis, you know, where there may not be a, I mean, in our industry, there is a direct link, you know, in the fintech industry, there is a very clear correlation between how services and products can help and support 
but even issues that aren't directly related. I think when we talk about, you know, sustainability and ESG, there is a demand from consumers to see those, you know, those CEOs and the C-suite of business communicating authentically on topics that are bigger than just them. And again, I come back to what it has to be based in action. You know, you can't start saying, oh yeah, you know, where we really care about sustainability, it's great when you're not doing anything. There does need to be that action. But I think it's, you know, what are you communicating on? And what topics do people want to hear you and see you taking action on? Um, and, you know, like you just mentioned, Janine, that is a, a key topic that everybody needs to see and hear action. And I love this, Gemma, because the sustainability part is such a good point. And ultimately, I think particularly from the fintech side, if you think about creating this more sustainable future, so much of that is going to boil down to making sure that we are rewiring finance into more sustainable activities. And that will depend on data. And fintechs, I mean, that's what they do, right? They, they can assess this data. They can look at this data. They can be able, they can ultimately provide a view on data to individuals and to uh, SMEs and large organizations to help them actually understand their own carbon footprint and what how they're actively engaging with the environment. So I think that's a whole other area that there's such an opportunity here for us to be talking about the positive role of fintech in this incredibly important issue that's uh, really you know facing all of us right now as well. So if we've had wave one, which was about innovation and disruption, and, and wave two was maybe about partnership and collaboration is this then wave three of fintech which is combining all of that together and actually using this for wider good yeah i mean it's a really interesting question i actually probably will be a little bit antagonistic here and and challenge one a couple of the statements so i think firstly when we talk about this being a new chapter of fintech almost as a force for good i would argue that actually since the fintech quote unquote revolution back in 2008 2009 it has historically always been that force for good because that has been based on providing more choice and more opportunities for consumers and also in terms of the b2b side increasing efficiency and decreasing cost right so at the end of the day it is having this positive impact I think that the narrative now is exactly around this maturation conversation. So the market as a whole is maturing as it would in any case. Um, We are going to see uh, mergers. We're going to see acquisitions. We're going to see companies that really are able to solve problems, grow and develop into household names. And I would challenge whether we would still call them, for example, a, a disruptor in many senses. I do think, however, it's imperative that we still view disruption and partnership in collaboration with one another. Because if we view our end goal as a better financial services system, that cannot happen unless you see both disruption and partnership happening at the same time. The minute one of those components is taken out is the minute that we fall down as a sector. And so from our perspective, it's absolutely imperative to keep both of those running. And I think the conversation today is very much around how do we continue to have both of those going forward? That'll be looking at open banking, but a lot of other different cases is how can we push forward ahead with that? Fantastic. Janine, probably just to, to, to kind of start to wrap up, um, you are at the center of all sorts of activity, fintech activity and, and, and uh, activity beyond fintech, actually, um, here within the UK. I suppose for that, that positive hope and light, shining light for the future. Talk to us about, you know, that, that beyond what we've just, we've just covered, actually, but talk to us about, you know, potentially how important fintech will be in, in, in the UK economic landscape, actually, in, in the years to come. I think there's so much opportunity down the road. I think this is a difficult market. It's a difficult economic time for everyone and for all sectors. 
But at the end of the day, fintechs and those that we currently have in the landscape, but those that are coming up have transformed financial services for the better, and they will continue to do so. And even with the um, the focus on some new technology and new products, looking at AI, for example, but also looking at the crypto market, looking at open banking, the, the new payments environment as well, there's so much space for us to move things forward in a positive means. And I know that fintech is going to be at the forefront, but they'll also be bringing along all of the different players. So they will be working with the incumbent financial institutions and the large banks to take that forward. I think there also is a conversation to be had with some of the big techs as well as how does our ecosystem in the UK bring all of those different stakeholders together uh, and move ahead for a better financial services sector. I think probably on that note, we will uh, we'll, we'll call the episode there. Um, Janine, Gemma, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you both um, and getting lots and lots of excellent insight about the perception of the the fintech industry and the fintech landscape at the moment. Thank you both so much for your time and for your insight today. Um, I know that all of our audience will really enjoy listening to this episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. Thanks for joining us here on Payments Innovation. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas about the show. Connect with Currency Cloud on Twitter or LinkedIn to find out more. And remember to subscribe via your favorite podcast player.